this is Solem Literary Press. I'm your host, Marley Bounds, and this is the Solem Podcast, where we discuss and examine the intersection of the modern renaissances in evangelical literature, philosophy, and spiritual formation. Today, I'm excited to have Marjorie Maddox-Hafer on the podcast. Professor of English and Creative Writing at Lock Haven University, Marjorie Maddox has published 13 collections of poetry including Transplant, Transport, Transubstantiation, which won the Yellow Glen Prize, Begin With a Question, published by Paraclete Press, and Heart Speaks is Spoken For, an ekphrastic collaboration with photographer Karen Elias, published by Shanti Arts. Her other publications include the short story collection, What She Was Saying, published by Fortnite, four children's and young adult books, including Inside Out, Poems on Writing and Reading Poems with Insider Exercises, which was a finalist in the Children's Educational Category 2020 International Book Awards, A Crossing of Zebras, Animal Packs and Poetry, I'm Feeling Blue Too, which was a 2021 NCTE Notable Poetry Book, and Rules of the Game, Baseball Poems. Additionally, she is co-editor of Commonwealth, Contemporary Poets on Pennsylvania, assistant editor of Presence, and author of 650 stories, essays, and poems in journals and anthologies. More information will be given in the show notes, including a link to her website, as well as some recent publications if you want to find out more. So Marjorie, welcome, and thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Riley. This is uh, great to finally uh, be able to have this conversation. Definitely. All right, well, why don't you uh, tell us a bit about yourself then? Well, I, um, you wanted to know a little bit about how I started writing, and I was really fortunate to start writing at a pretty early age. I had a family that um, really um, respected the arts, thought the arts were important. Um, I published my first poem in a Campfire Girl magazine when I was eight, <laughs> um, but my, my dad, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, my dad had a lot of heart issues, and so he retired from his job early on and took up photography. And so I spent a lot of time kind of helping him, um, you know, even as a little kid, giving my opinion about um, that. My aunt um, on my mother's side was a, a painter and uh, never married and traveled the world in her VW camper painting and she would take me on trips. My mother was an avid reader and um, when I was little, she would type up my poems and stories into like little books. So, you know, I was very fortunate. A lot of kids are kind of taught that writing is a waste of time, that it's not practical. But I was in a family that really felt like this was something worthwhile. Um, right. So so that was that was nice. And I feel that was a real gift. Um, mm -hmm. I teach at Lock Haven University right now. Um, I've taught there um, for 30 years. And you kind of mentioned a lot of the other little tidbits of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, why don't you tell us just a little bit about your work with Presence uh, Journal of Catholic Poetry? Well, I've, I'm trying to think of it's four or five years that I've been working on this now, and it's just, uh, again, been a, a real blessing. Um, I first got to know Marianne Miller, um, the editor-in-chief, when I sent her poems to, to possibly be in the, the journal. Mm -hmm. And then I also knew uh, Lois Romadili, 
um, because I had judged a contest at Franciscan University, which she won. Um, so we all kind of got to know each other a little bit, and then they asked me to come on board too. And that's just been a delight to, to read amazing work. And the journal has really taken off. Um, we got, I think, 700 poems this last issue. So wow. it is just uh, um, an amazing amount of good work. And um, it's it's very hard to sift it down. Um, Lois and I vote on all the poems early on, and then they eventually go to Marianne. And then there's a balance of um, what kind of themes have already been represented, how many pages are available. Presence is unique in some ways because it also includes a lot of uh, book reviews. Um, I think like 20 or so we had uh, last time. So that's kind of unusual. It also has life essays on the life work of a poet. Mm -hmm. um, so it really covers a lot of territory. So we kind of have to balance all those different sections and it has a whole section on translation. So we're having wow. um, a lot of, uh, we're having some Ukrainian poets and this was even before kind of everything was you know, it's happening um, as it is in all the tragedy in the news right now. Um, so it's been it's been really wonderful working with these very like-minded um, individuals who value both faith and and poetry and uh, the process of writing and reading. And we'll we'll talk a little bit more about what you're looking for as an editor for presence uh, later on. So maybe people can uh, submit their work to you and you know hopefully get a excellent. They, we usually take work in August, and uh, I think the deadline is uh, October 1st, usually. Okay, great. Um, well, I wanted to ask, just, is it difficult wearing so many hats? I mean, being a writer, being a poet, being an editor, and being a professor, uh, it's just, that's quite a lot. Yeah, so. <laughs> it is. And, and sometimes I go absolutely crazy. Um, mm -hmm. But I also kind of... Um, thrive off of it in some ways. I like to mix things up. I like to write in a lot of different genres. Um, and um, all these things are very creative enterprises, but they do kind of use a different part of the brain. So teaching, I find is very creative. I love, I love my students. It's a heavy teaching load. It's a mm -hmm. four, four teaching load. Um, so after I had kids, after my husband and I had our, our two kids, I found I didn't do a lot of writing during the year. Um, but it was still kind of always spinning around in the back of my head. And then it would come out over winter breaks and over summer breaks. I think I got just as much done, but it is a very creative process to teach. But again, it's a different part of your brain. Editing in, in some ways is very much like uh, teaching because, um, you know, you're selecting, but then also if you're doing kind of one-on-one -on -one editing, um, which would be different than presence, you're giving feedback. Um, and, um, you know, this, and kind of coaching the same way that you would when you're teaching. Um, mm -hmm. The business side of things is like another hat. You know, when, I, when I'm procrastinating writing, <laughs> I tend to do the business part and send things out and try to have a thick skin and, you know, just push it mm -hmm. out. And then when I'm procrastinating, sending things out, sometimes I get some writing done. Um, yeah. And of course, you know, I do a lot of those over the break periods when I'm not teaching and grading stacks mm -hmm. of freshman essays. Um, <laughs> I, I did want to ask, like, with all these different things that you do, is it stifling to your artistic inspiration at all? I, I don't think so. I always have these projects going on. So I don't 
I don't usually have too much problem with writer's block. Oh, well, that's not always true. Sometimes if I haven't written for a while, I have three or four days where I just kind of pace and walk around the house. And, you know, mm-hmm. I need to do something that's not writing, even though I'm planning on writing, um, you know, just walking and, and something kind of physical usually. Um, I, I used to work for a, um, I used to work for University Press right out of college and as a proofreader. And then I worked for a, a book publisher for a little while before I went back to um, get my MFA, my MA and my MFA. Um, and when I got home, you know, and I had been looking for commas all day, you know, I didn't feel like writing a poem. <laughs> At least with teaching, I get to talk about literature. And sometimes that fuels ideas for poems. Um, we're going to talk about God's uh, the God's grandeur inspired poem in a minute, maybe. And then, but I have this whole book, True, False, None of the Above, that was really inspired by teaching and writing, and particularly um, teaching and writing um, at a state university, where I, it wasn't particularly encouraged to talk about the spiritual. But you know. You can find ways to do that, which I do, you know, yeah. uh, you know, talk about the metaphysical poets, talk about Hopkins and, and things like that. Um, so now I forgot where I was going with it. But, you know, there are all kinds of things can can inspire you in as these different worlds kind of overlap mm-hmm. your different jo- jobs, your different roles. I mean, yeah. my day job is as a professor and a teacher, and I like doing that. Um, but again, oh, I know you were asked about stifle your creativity. Um, but usually I'm, I'm pretty tired by the time I get home, but I eventually get those ideas. Sometimes I just jot down notes on my phone if something sparks an idea. And then, you know, later during a break, I might get back to it. Mm. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, the first poem of yours that I read was the topic for today's environmentalism. And that really caught my eye. I think I found it in a D.S. Martin collection. Um, Right. Yeah, that was the turning aside. So would you start off by reading that for us, please? I would. And and Don Martin has just been an amazing uh, editor. He's he's an amazing poet, but also just this community builder. So um, I really appreciate everything that he's done. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this poem is based off of teaching uh, Hopkins poems, God's Grandeur. Maybe I'll even read that one afterwards, just so people can see kind of the connection. Um, But I'm in central Pennsylvania. The gas industry is is huge here, uh, more so um, before than now, but still um, really has impacted a lot of families. And you have families who are kind of on both sides of the controversy. You have students who, this is how their their parents are making uh, a living. This is you know how they put food on the table. And then you have other students who are, are picketing and are very upset. Um, I very much believe that uh, poetry is kind of a confrontation with reality, that literature is, is has very much to do with your life. It's not something far away and detached from your life. So I try to bring everything that I'm teaching, even, you know, a poem that maybe is using a little bit older language, like the Hopkins poem, into their everyday lives. And I really see the Hopkins poem as being about um, the way we treat the world, how the way we care for the earth. Mm -hmm. So I'll go ahead and read this and then um, maybe um, look, just read the other one quickly, too. 
And the topic for today is environmentalism, teaching God's grandeur. More politically correct than divine grandeur, it too flames out in this Pennsylvania town where fracking hijacks the headlines. Good reason, and good enough to bring the state students trotting heavily into a poem piled high with God and earth, with responsibilities they hear each morning as the gas industry trucks rattle past our windows, their tired drivers knowing nothing of iambic pentameter or sestets, but much about food on the, job, on the table, a steady job. The freshmen eager now blurt out dilemma, paradox, instress, and all those new sounding ideas suddenly connected to their lives, their parents, the sonnet they think was written last week. Even with its 19th century sound packed syllables they don't get until slowing down, thinking. And so after playing with light, foil, sound, the way trade sears, blears, and smears, and how and why shoes separate us from ground, we detour to Genesis, Cat Stevens, and a heavy metal rendition that almost drowns out Hopkins with bass. All this before rounding the terrain raked bend to solution, which is what they are surprised to discover we all most want, the eloquent octet, the bright wings, the ah that opens the mind to talk at long last about the holy. So, um, you know, I start talking with the students about this idea of the world is charged, it's energized with God's grandeur. And because this is a Petrarchan sonnet, it's divided into problem and solution. Um, so, you know, that sounds like a wonderful thing that the world is charged with God's grandeur. This is going to be a nutshell for Hopkins Scholar. This is going to be a quick, quick, quick gloss. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, even though we find this grandeur every way, it's like uh, shining off shook foil. It's like gathering like a nut. Um, mankind is searing it with our industry. Um, it's bleared, it's smeared, all these have negative connotations. And these are things that the students can understand when you're talking about, you know, the way Hopkins presents these idea of um, mankind often destroying the earth. Um, you know, shares man's smudge and shares man's smell, not very positive sounding. And the soil is bare. And we think, uh, you know, I talk with them about how even the manufactured shoes kind of keep us from the ground. So that's kind of the problem. And yet um, for all this, nature is never spent. It's never used up. Um, and there's still all those deep down things, you know, you know, all this, but this is new for the, for the students. And then we kind of come back, like Cat Stevens said, like the old hymn says, you know, morning is, um, you know, each day is a new morning. Each day there's a recreation. Uh, creation appears again for the rising of the sun, the setting of the sun. Um, and it, there's that reference um, to the Holy Spirit and to Genesis, where the Holy Spirit broods over the world and kind of pulls everything together. And that's where we have the, with ah, bright wings, you know, this miracle, this epiphany uh, mm -hmm. that's happening. So I just, I just love that. You know, this is a poem that, that really kind of touches me here. 
Um, but it's something that also the students understand if you just kind of slow down and apply to a contemporary situation as well. You know, mm -hmm. here's somebody who's, you know, wrote quite a while ago in their mind, and yet is really talking about things that we're still thinking about, which is what makes such a great poem, right? It makes it universal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, there's my enthusiasm overflowing. <laughs> <laughs> the world is God's grandeur. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. It gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil crushed. Why do men then now not wreck his rod? Generations have trod, have trod, have trod, and all is seared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil, and wears man's smudge and shares man's smell. The soil is bare now, nor can foot feel being shod. And for all this, nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness deep down things. And though the last lights off the black west went, oh, morning at the brown brink eastward springs, because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and with, ah, bright wings. And one of the things that I love about Hopkins is his attention to sound. You know, it's every single word uh, kind of resonates off of another. And then there's this, you know, a uh, big focus on the interaction, uh, intersection of the spiritual and the natural world. So anyway, so, that, so not only do I love teaching that poem, but then that also inspired a poem about teaching Hopkins. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Do, do you think that that um, the, the sound, the, the rhythm of Hopkins work, do you think that that's just as important as what he had to say? I, I do. Um, you know, and I'm, I tend to, uh, really lean towards and, and treasure the, the lyrical sounding, the, the use of sound. When I write myself, I often compose out loud. Um, so I like lots of different types of poems, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of uh, a little bit biased or lean towards that kind of very musical quality. Gotcha. Uh, so that's something that I particularly like about him. Very good. Very good. Well, before we go any further, I always like to ask my poets to come on the podcast this question. Why should people care about poetry in, in the first place? Why, why bother with, with reading poetry and writing poetry? Well, I think it comes back to this idea of discovery and also uh, confrontation with your life. Um, poetry is a way to engage with everything you're experiencing, um, things that are happening in the world. Um, things that are happening in your own life, um, in the past, in the present, you know, maybe your goals for the future. I also really see poetry as a way to help understand other people. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's a, a way to kind of empathize with, uh, with what other people are going through. Um, one of my books is called Local News from Someplace Else, and I do a lot of responding to kind of headline news. But there's also a sense that what's happening in my town, you know, in my locale, is also something that may be happening to other people or what are ha what's happening to other people is still something that, you know, I can relate to. Um, I don't necessarily have to have gone through the same thing, but we all have fears. We all have doubts. We all uh, stand in awe of beauty. Um, so there are things that are universal 
even if it's not exactly the same experience. And I think that's one of the wonderful gifts of poetry is it gives us a way in to those shared um, experiences, if that makes sense to you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Your newest book, Begin With a Question, was recently released by Pericle Press. And congrats on that, by the way. Thank you. Um, what was that like, just the publication process with Paraclete? Um, it's It's been uh, great. I'm excited that th- this book, Begin With a Question and Heart Speaks is Spoken For, are both coming out this next week. Um, they weren't supposed to come out right next to each other. The little thing called the pandemic got in the way. So um, the Begin With a Question was accepted in fall of 2019. So it's been a long process. Um, mm-hmm. but the folks have been great to work with and I'm really excited to, to find out this is what it looks like. <laughs> Finally oh, have it cool. in hand. And then this is the other one that's coming. This is one coming out on Monday and this is coming out on Tuesday. So wow, big week. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. is. Well, is there, is there a unifying theme to begin with a question? I think to begin with a question really has to do with, um, with my spiritual journey, a lot of my books have to do with my spiritual journey mm. and this intersection of, of faith, um, the natural and spiritual worlds. Um, it also has a lot to do, not surprising, with, with this idea of questions and questioning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, these big, these big questions about the problem of evil, the problem of suffering. And yet there's also some hopeful poems in there as well. Um, when the poem was, when the book was first accepted, as I mentioned, um, that was fall 2019. And then because it was delayed, a lot of these pandemic poems kind of crept into the manuscript because they had a time to, to kind of revise it and shape it a little bit more. So it, it became a slightly different book, but I think a better book because of that in some ways. Well, would you mind reading the title poem for us? Sure. Um, now, it probably would help to know that this title poem is what's called a sestina, and um, you probably already know this, but in a sestina, um, six words are repeated in a set pattern. And then in the last stanza, which is a tercet, a three-line stanza, um, all six words appear. So the six words that appear in this, um, that are repeated are already, question, answer, maybe, yes, and no. Um, and so in some ways, that kind of shifting back and forth between all those yes, no, maybes is part of the point of the, the poem of you see this beautiful world, you know, these moments of awe, these moments of beauty, but then you also hear this news of all these tragedies and trauma that's going on. So it's kind of easy to, your mood is shifting back and forth in your your ideas shifting back and forth. Begin mm-hmm. with a question. And this came out from a a poetry prompt that I saw in uh, Tanya Runyon's How to Write a Poem. And all the prompt was, was start with a question, begin with a question. So Mm -hmm. I did. But why? By dawn, the day already brims with answers. Yes, you may question the universe. No, God will not answer. Yes, a double negative could mean maybe this strange world cowers inside another yes or not. What a knot of not knowing creates our nose, affirmation its own negation of belief. No, I do believe your unbelief. 
the tangles already tugged and tied into a complicated yes that dons its technicolored coat of questions drenched in sunrise. I am awash with hope. Maybe that too shimmers more in the morning, the answers lighting the air like leftover fireflies. But answer me this before I leap too quickly back to my no. Will the trill of this blue jay calm my maybes only until noon when the world's news already, more often than not, overtakes me with questioning despair? I walk out into this morning of yes and breathe what I need of silence. You are the yes I want, the clear but not simple answer to this moment. Now before this mind you created questions the brightness of your burning bush. Even as I know too well the power of heat, my heart already taking off its sandals of maybe. To bow low this singed soul. It may be this too is another form of yes, the step toward or away, already the movement of prayer that answers that nightfall of what we cannot know, that forest we cannot see amidst such branching questions. Who do you say that I am? You question and leave no much room for tangled maybes. My feet and mind shift, be still and know. This morning, the lilies bloom, yes. The newspaper's other answers merely crackle in the background. Already a no turned question. Already a maybe with yes, the answer. And maybe the idea for this poem is even something that had been going around in my head since I was like in college, because I remember um, I went to Wheaton College as an undergraduate, and I remember taking a class with uh, the Shakespearean scholar and metaphysical uh, poet scholar Beatrice Batson, and uh, she had assigned uh, John Donne's Satire Three, and that, to paraphrase very uh, loosely, you know that that poem talks about that it's okay to doubt and to question, and you're it's like you're on a, a mountain and you're climbing the mountain. You're not going straight up necessarily, but you're going round and round and round. As long as you don't stay still, you know, mm-hmm. you're still making progress. You're still moving towards God. And and to my mind, um, at that age, this was kind of a revelation to me that it was okay to question, and that that could be part of the spiritual journey. You didn't necessarily have to have all the answers. Um, and so kind of that moving back and forth, and which is also kind of part, the part of the process of writing poetry, I think, too. I really do love that you use yes, no, and maybe to both direct the poem, but also to kind of confuse us a bit, you know, <laughs> uh, or to, to show the confusion of the, uh, of the narrator. Was that really hard to do for you? Well, that's one thing that I I like about writing Sestinas. And I I primarily used to write all free verse. And now um, when I get stuck, here's another place where I'm kind of contradicting what I said earlier about writer's block. But um, I will, I've been writing a lot of Villanelles and Sestinas and Pantoums because you do have that container, that form that somehow... um, opens up things, you know, instead of being restrictive, it opens up kind of all possibilities. So 
because I knew that these words had to be repeated in a set pattern. Once I got that, that first idea of going between yes, no, and maybe, then it was not too hard to keep the, the, the inner conversation kind of going um, okay. about, you know, how we move um, back and forth sometimes um, with our questioning or with between faith and doubt, but then still ending on that more hopeful note of, of um, assurance. Yeah, yeah. And what I really love about the poem is that it is it is a formal verse, but it also doesn't I don't, I don't think that it has any uh, set meter, does it? Right. No, um, I, I haven't even thought about that, but I don't think so. You know, it doesn't have that set rhyme scheme instead yeah, of yeah. the repetition. of, And it doesn't it's not like an iambic pentameter, but right. it does have that repetition of those six words. So. Yeah. So so it kind of contains elements of of both formal verse and and free verse in a way. Would, would you mind then uh, telling us exactly what it is, the difference between formal verse and free verse, just to kind of clarify that if anybody's confused? Yeah, so um, formal verse or fixed form, it's also called closed form, follows a set pattern. So it can be a set rhyme scheme, um, syllabics, um, a set meter. Whereas uh, free verse um, doesn't have that set pattern. Now, um, Robert Frost famously said free verse is like writing is like playing tennis with the net down. And um, I don't think I really agree with him because I, there's still all those elements that you use in free verse. You're still going to use alliteration, assonance, and consonants. You're going to use the shape on the page. You're going to use your line breaks to your advantage. You're going to use similes and metaphors. So it's a different kind of structure, but I think there's still some kind of structure there. But it's not um, as strict as when you have the, the set forms or the formal poetry. So. Yeah. Yeah. And do, do you prefer one over the other, usually? I, I like both of them. Uh, and again, before I, I wrote primarily in, in free verse, but I've been writing more in fixed form um, recently. Um, but I think it's nice to kind of have a balance. Okay, so I wanted to just mention that this other book that's coming out um, on Monday, um, which is a very different kind of book in some ways. So this was all based on um, photographs by the photographer Karen Elias. And um, the whole process of collaboration has been really freeing and exciting for me. And that's another way to kind of break through uh, the writer's block. So she had this heart-shaped um, cracked stone and each image is kind of connected to this. So you'll see, can you see that? <laughs> There's one, um, and some of these were based on poems that I had already written. Mm -hmm. And so she did the photograph based on the poem and then others, um, she did the photograph first and then I used that as a prompt to write the poem. A few of these also came out in an earlier book of, of mine. Here's one about the quarantine and you can kind of see there's two images of the heart in these isolated windows. Um, so I'm going to read the first one, which started the whole book off. And this also is in my book, Transplant, Transport, Transubstantiation. But I wanted to read this book in part, this poem in part, because it shows how you can write about a very personal subject. But also because I'm a poet of faith, 
my language is going to be kind of infused with um, language, uh, uh, language of faith. Um, and I think that's also one of the things that, you know, that has made presence so valuable to me because the poets can write about anything, but they also have that shared understanding of what some of the biblical references mean, or because it's kind of ecumenical, just the language of faith in itself. So we'll ha we'll have some poets who are are Muslim or who, who are Jewish and are writing out of that tradition, but that's mm. not something that's anathema to write about. You know, it's something that's welcomed. Um, mm -hmm. So background information: um, my father had his first heart attack when he was thirty-eight. He had 10 cardiac arrests um, and he died after an unsuccessful heart transplant when he was 65 in the middle. Well, I had just been to visit him. I live in central Pennsylvania. I'd been to visit my parents in Ohio when there were news reports of the blizzard of 93. I rushed home to Pennsylvania to avoid the blizzard. A man died in a car accident. Um, my father got his heart. Um, but eventually his blood became infected and he died. But I could not get back to see him for quite a while because all the roads were completely shut down. But I kept thinking of this stranger's heart being buried inside of my father. So this poem is called uh, Treacherous Driving. And again, this is the image, the photo that photograph that goes with it, which is a composite photo. So she's laid that heart across a map of Ohio. <clears throat> Treacherous driving. It's as safe as traveling to work, a cardiologist before performing a transplant. The first night of the blizzard, that stranger inched into Ohio. Halfway through, he skidded into our snow-spackled lives. His heart is buried in my father, who is buried. This is the hole in the stranger in my father, in my own cracked chest, hail cupped in its cavity, the aorta beginning to freeze. All winter, the weather preaches white lies, fields blank of roads, a curve straightened, the even light of sky. Tonight, the breeze is all icicles, banner-like from the clouds, nothing is movable in this treacherous state. Our wheels spin, their rhythm a breath that pulls us, then stalls. The law of the body, of the state, cannot replace the chain reaction, jackknifed lives, hope piling into, into hope. The man in his heart, cold on an icy road, warmed us for weeks while winter a clear blue thing wafted light. And, you know, it took uh, quite a while before I could write about my father's death because it was obviously a very traumatic situation. So sometimes, you know, you have to, at least I have to wait a while. Um, but it was also a way for me to kind of process some of these ideas, like we've talked about um, kind of the purpose of poetry can be a processing um, of certain experiences that, that you've gone through. So right now I'm um, my my big news right now, which I haven't even un announced officially yet, is that my daughter is an artist. She's 25, and Shante Arts just accepted a book where I've written um, based on her paintings, and then also several other artists, um, but primarily um, 17 
um, paintings by my daughter. So that's been exciting on a personal level too, to have that kind of collaboration, family collaboration going on. Yeah, no, I, th I thank you for sharing that poem about your, about your father. That was extremely powerful. I think it was one of your best ones. Do, do you find that you're, that with writing poetry, it's a way mostly for you to process? Is it, is it more, I guess, is it more for you to process or to think be a way to, a way to put it? I think both. You know, um, you know, and it, it, again, it's kind of taking a different part of the brain. And sometimes at different points in your life, you need to do, you know, both of those. Um, but I also, you know, I write children's books, too. I have a book on baseball and I have a book on, you know, animals and um, collective nouns like a, a crossing of zebras and um, a school of fish. Um, so you know, you, you can jump around. You don't have to be just in one camp or another. Um, and that's one of the things that I love about writing is it allows you to kind of use different experiences, different parts of your life, different genres. Sometimes it's easier to write about some things in an essay form. And sometimes it's easier to write about it in a story or a personal, uh, you know, creative nonfiction or a poem. So or sometimes you can do a little bit of each. You know? um, mm. Sometimes I feel like I'm writing the same poem over and over again because they're the questions that are most central to what I've been kind of struggling with or am excited about or engaged with. So I don't know if you feel that way too when you write that sometimes the same issues or same ideas keep cropping up. Yeah, I mean, I think that poetry is often a reflection of uh, of ourselves um, and what we're currently dealing with, like you were saying. Um, so I, I do find that, you know, I, I do kind of uh, fall back on the same, the same things because I'm still, I'm still wrestling with the same things. Mm -hmm. So, and it, it's, it's nice, it's nice to see that evolution over time, you know, with, with different poets mm -hmm. that are finally working through different things. Um, well, as we close here, Marjorie, I want to talk more about your work with uh, presence. Um, so, as we have already mentioned, you know, you're you're a poetry editor for for presence. Mm -hmm. So, how does how does being a writer and a teacher and a poet of faith all influence your role there at presence? Hmm. Uh, I think just again, just this this idea of reading. Um, strong work and reading so much good work that deals with um, not only the natural world, but also that intersection of the spiritual and the natural um, kind of feeds my soul. I mean, that sounds like a, a cliche, but it, it um, nurtures me and we hope that it also nurtures others as well. Um, and it's, um, it's a, a venue also to kind of share the, you know, this wide arc of different experiences, different spiritual experiences. So we have people kind of um, approaching things from, um, from really strong faith, uh, from questioning. Um, so you don't feel like you, you know, are an outsider, I hope. I hope this is something that really draws people in to see that, you know, where you know, no matter where you are at the moment, we hope that there's something there for you within these pages. Um, and so we kind of like to, to open it up in that way. Um, but it's, it's been, um, 
we do most of Lois and I do most of the, our reading in the August through October section, and then uh, hand that part over to to Mary Ann, and she really kind of uh, pulls things together. Um, but I think you know, there's that sense of of looking for that aha moment, you know. Um, poems that kind of take the your, top of your head off, like Emily Dickinson likes to like to say. Um, I particularly, again, like that musical quality. I feel like that there's been some kind of transformation from the beginning to the end of the poem. Um, but it, it's just been a, a nice camaraderie, a, a really nice um, partnership and, and um, team situation, I think. Um, working with these wonderful individuals. So. Yeah, 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 I bet. Um, well, as far as all your publishing prowess, are there any insider tips you could kind of give us, you know, beginners and professionals for marketing and publishing uh, books? The marketing part has been a learning process for me. Um, and again, that's that's kind of a different hat to put on. Um, I was a latecomer to, fo- to Facebook, so I finally kind of jumped into that. I know it's controversial now, um, but that did open up, you know, um, connections to me and venues that I didn't know about, journals that I didn't know about. So I think that's helped quite, quite a bit. Um, there's different poetry communities. Um, finding a few friends uh, with kind of like-minded ideas, um, other poets of faith that I exchange poems with sometimes has really um, been encouraging to me. Um, I think reading a lot of the different journals to kind of see um, the types of uh, poems that they take and also just being persistent because mm-hmm. sometimes it has, um, because there are so many good poems submitted, sometimes it has less to do with the um, quality of the poem, but maybe somebody else um, submitted something on the same topic or very similar. Um, or, you know, how many pages are available. Um, So, you know, again, that sense of um, kind of reading widely, reading um, what people of different faiths or faith or just contemporary poetry in general are writing um, and finding kind of what venue might work best for the particular poem. And I love simultaneous submissions because then you can send out a whole bunch, you know, lots of different places and, uh, you know, because it takes so long, right? Um, it's, it's hard to be patient. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. I'm not particularly patient. So, um, you know, it's nice knowing that it, it might be out more than one place. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that answered your question. No, well, yeah, no, definitely. Um, I did want to ask as far as like practical tips for, for marketing, what, what do you find especially effective? I, from, for me, I work best kind of getting to know people one-on-one and then kind of reaching out to them that way. And even, Mm -hmm. you know, meeting new people through other people, like, you know, getting to meet you today has Mm -hmm. been such a nice experience. Um, So, you know, I'm, I'm not the kind of, feels comfortable going into like some kind of cocktail party and, and yeah. losing and meeting people that way. That's, that's just not who I am. And I, um, I can be pretty outgoing as a teacher, but I think a lot of writers are kind of introverts at, at heart mm-hmm. and need that kind of quiet time. And so it takes some courage, you know, to screw up that courage to, to be able to do those kind of things. But I, I found that getting into some of these smaller, um, 
even like Facebook poetry groups or um, going to some of the readings has been really wonderful. Uh, Presence mm -hmm. has been hosting. We hosted several readings in person in New York City at, uh, at churches in New York City uh, before the pandemic. But now we've been doing some Zoom um, readings for to release the journal. So that helps kind of get a sense of uh, what other people are writing for the journal. And I've been to, you know, those for lots of other journals too. It helps me get a sense of, you know, who these people are a little bit and, um, you know, their likes and their personalities and, mm. and, and you feel like kind of a sense of um, community. I mean, there's obviously a lot of um, horrific things during uh, the pandemic and a lot of sacrifices, one of the, the good things or one of the few benefits maybe is I think these Zoom things have been really nice in making people feel connected when we could feel extremely isolated. I mean, you know, being holed up, my husband and uh, I have a son and a daughter, but at one point my husband, son and I were all on Zoom. <laughs> he was taking college classes. We were both teaching um, and there was that, sense of it well at least we could connect with other people through some of these zoom poetry readings and smaller groups and things like that so i yeah. think that helps um but i think you know you just also have to develop kind of i had to develop a thick skin you know at first i was i'd be upset when these things would come back and now i just okay just send it out again you know mm -hmm. and uh you just have to keep uh, keep trying, but it helps have a, a community of writers to give you some feedback. It helps to um, read widely and to read to the read the journals that you're submitting to. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that kind of thing, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, I, I really love the idea that Presence has about uh, live readings at churches. I might have to steal that for Solom if you don't mind. Oh um, yeah, that's really yeah. nice. Because that is an excellent idea. Yeah. Well, finally, Marjorie, then, what would you like to see more of as an editor and reader of faith-based literature? What would you like to see more of? Oh, that, that's hard. I mean, it, you, you really mostly, primarily want it to be a good, solid poem, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're going to have that sense of transformation throughout the poem. I told you my bias of kind of musicality, but, you know, other people have different biases. Mm -hmm. um, so I think just sending, you know, your good, strong work is, is what you want to, what an editor wants to see. And then maybe, you know, you want to, I always want to be surprised too. I want that turn in the poem that I didn't expect. Um, and, you know, sometimes we'll get like lots of persona biblical poems. And then other times we won't get any of those, you know, uh, and sometimes we'll get lots of poems about the pandemic and then other times we won't get any of those. So, you know, that, that kind of thing is you might want to think, you know, people might want to think about how do I see the world from maybe a different perspective than somebody else sees it. And that's really refreshing to see, you know, how different people see the world slightly differently. I always think poetry is about precision, you know, exactly the right word in the right place and about that slightly different perspective than what everybody else is saying and you know it's a hard balance it's hard balance for me to achieve and you know um but i when i see it in a poem that's been submitted i'm like wow yeah 
Well, Marjorie, uh, thank you again for, for coming on today. It's been an absolute pleasure to, to have you and to get some insight into your work. Um, and you're, you're very prolific. We, we're, we're looking to see, to see more definitely. So, um, yeah, so thank you again for coming on and uh, just uh, have a great day. Well, this has been great. Thanks so much, Riley. <laughs>